What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh. I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Fadl. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Sundays with Kate. This is your host, Mortada El Fadl, and today we are discussing the 2008 David Fincher film, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which starred Kate alongside Brad Pitt, Taraji P. Henson, Tilda Swinton, and... Several other people. It's a stacked cast. We'll get to it. But first, let me introduce my partner today, our guest host, writer and critic, Andrew Kendall. Hi. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I really wanted you to come on this particular episode because I remember you really liked Benjamin Button. I do. One... Of the few people, I mean, it's it's one of those weird movies where I don't, I don't think people, I don't think people hate it, but it's not remembered very fondly. No, it's kind of really forgotten in the culture. I think people who remember it remember it for things like this. What what I remember it for just how great Kate and Brad look together um, in those scenes where they're meeting in the middle. Or it's one of it's one of those movies that got a ton of Oscar nominations and then sort of choked at the end because mm-hmm. it was like sort of like this big front runner and then nothing really happened at the end almost oddly like the aviator yeah I, I, the aviator another won, kid movie yeah the aviator won more oscars than benjamin button yeah but, but nothing yes. major though well kate is pretty major andrew she won oh yeah that's true but yeah <laughs> but, i mean not enough not enough not enough major not enough major but I'm getting ahead of myself because Kate does remind me of her aviator work in this, which I'll get to later on. Okay, cool. I'm excited to hear that. Uh, we've, before we dig in into, let's just set up the movie. So the movie is based on an F. Scott Fitzgerald story. It tells the story of Benjamin Button, who's a man born right af- at the end of the First World War in 1918, 1919. And he is born very old at the end of his time and starts aging backwards and so the movie is about this if this aging backwards and its effect on those around him which include Taraji P. Henson who plays his adoptive mother his his father once he sees his grotesque older person body puts him outside an old people's home that is run by the character played by Taraji P. Henson there He meets a lot of older people, so he grows up around these older people. One of them is this woman who befriends, he befriends, and her granddaughter is just a few years younger than him. So, of course, she looks like a normal child, and that's Daisy, and that's Kate's character. And then the story takes us throughout basically their whole life. So we see Benjamin growing up or growing younger and, and Daisy growing older until they meet in the middle and until death almost for both of them because the framing device is very old Kate telling her daughter, played by Julia Ormond, this story. Did I miss anything in this, Andrew, or this covers No, I think that's about it. 
I'm glad you mentioned the framing device, though, because it's an interesting idea, I think, in the film. Because, I mean, it's called Benjamin Button, so it's about him, obviously. But the film has this interesting device of framing it through Kate dying and her daughter on her deathbed, who we learn later on is Benjamin's daughter. But even before we learn about him, there's this, I think, very thoughtful sort of rumination on children and their parents. Like, even before we hear Benjamin's name, we have Julia Armand, like, you know, talking about, you know, wanting to say goodbye to her. And it's 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 weirdly moving in a way. In a way, I think the film is sort of just remembered as this sort of, like, you know, flashback movie going through the World War One and Two, But it has so much more going on than just Brad Pitt looking old and then young in it. Yeah. And surprisingly, he is a very passive character. He's the one who just basically grows younger, but kind of not a lot happens to him. It's always the people around him who drive the narrative, mainly Daisy, played by Kate, but also when he goes and works in a tugboat and there you meet Jared Harris as this boozy boat captain who likes to party and goes to whorehouses and and he's the one who's like taking Benjamin along with him on these adventures as opposed to Benjamin having any aptitude to start anything one thing I remember really clearly when the movie came out was the discourse around it just being David Fincher's version of Forrest Gump and rewatching it again I I watched it yesterday but I thought coincidentally before you asked me to the podcast two weeks ago and i don't think that's a fair comparison at all though like i mean other than being about somebody growing up it's not really that similar yeah i this one does is not concerned with history at all so it's just about benjamin that's one difference but what other difference did you see i think I mean, that being the main one, and the fact that ultimately, I think Benjamin Button is such a, it's such a small story, ultimately. It's really just about people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really doesn't care about history to that large extent. It's really just about the way that people relate to each other. And when you get to like the very end, and it has that closing narration, and he talks about the people he's met, and Kate being the last person we see on screen, hat tip to Kate... It's mm-hmm. all very much about just like very small human emotions rather than anything significant. It could have been set like anywhere. It didn't have to be set in mid 20th century America. It really could have happened anywhere other than, of course, the film sort of frames it slightly around the um, Hurricane Katrina. Katrina. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the framing device takes place as Katrina is hitting New Orleans because the most of the movie takes place in New Orleans. But to your point, and this is, I think, one of the minuses against the film, I do not really see a distinct sense of place. Like, it tells me this is New Orleans, and I'm sure they shot in New Orleans, but I don't really see or feel New Orleans in the movie. It could have really been set anywhere, and it's not really concerned with place or time at all it's just concerned with its characters yep yep i mean that's that's a fair that's a fair point since we started with the framing device one of the things that is also taking a minus against this movie and i could see the minus is the heavy 
old age makeup that Kate has to <laughs> yes. basically yes. live under yes. in the framing device. She I looked... don't mind the makeup because it reminds me of my favorite movie, The English Patient, which mm-hmm. is also about is with Raphine's in terrible, well, not terrible makeup, but just heavy makeup. Mm-hmm. She doesn't look like her. But I don't think the makeup is bad. I do think, though, that the makeup is a bit too much, though, because she's not that old when the movie starts. So it's like, I mean, I don't think a woman that it would look that old. They never explain why she's ill. So it just is sort of like, why does she look so terrible? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how old she's supposed to be. She's only they, a few they years younger I, than I, Benjamin. I'm trying to remember she... when they say she was born. They say it in the movie, but I, I've forgotten. But, but she's not that old. If Katrina, we know when Katrina was, and she, in the story, she's about, she says she's 43 when Benjamin is 49, so she's six years younger, so that's 1924, 25. So she's not that old. The makeup makes her look 160 years old. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, she looks really old. She looks really old. And one thing you mentioned in your notes that's good, though, is Kate's old voice is really good. Yeah. Yeah, people got so bogged down by the admittedly too much makeup job to and forgot the expert voice work of Kate Blanchett as old Daisy because she is able to do not just a perfect impeccable accent, all her accent work is always perfect, but also that old lilt and you hear her, you know She's from New Orleans, and you know she's very old. So that people, yeah, that's and acting. I, I think you were talking about it in the um, episode with Jose, talking about Kate's voice acting. And I was thinking so much about her voice in mm-hmm. this particular film also. Because it's, I mean, she really is an excellent voice actor. Yep. Like you think of like her work in Lord of the Rings or her work in The Aviator or Blue Jasmine, like, the way that she says things are so so very evocative and in the film also like there's even young daisy old daisy older daisy there's that there's that journey she's taking you on not just with the makeup and with how she looks but how she sounds mm-hmm. and like how her emotions are you know reticent or open or earnest it's really good work she's doing here which makes me always annoyed at how I think it's so easy to dismiss the performance of just, you know, she's playing the romantic interest, but it's such good work. Yeah, and you're right. She just charted the whole story through her voice because there is makeup when she plays very young ballerina Daisy. Basically, they take away her wrinkles when she plays Daisy in her 20s and a scrubbed face. But also the voice work there, it's her voice. She's playing a young ingenue and you can feel the excitement of a young person and then as she grows older she keeps doing it so it i think it's maybe the biggest showcase ever for her voice work just because she has to to play a person from like 20 to i don't know 90 something like that heavily made up as an old person and her face is scrubbed as a young person with the technology that fincher employs in this movie but the voice is all blanchett's work I was thinking, because in your notes you were talking about the fact that this is, beside Lord of the Rings trilogy, probably her biggest box office hit. Mm-hmm. And like, what would somebody who didn't know Kate think if they saw her from this movie? And I was thinking a lot of what's, 
I was thinking, I was trying to place it in her filmography, and I was thinking that this performance reminds me most of her work as Meredith Logue in Ripley. In the when I think of Kate Blanchett, I don't think of her as like an ingenue or as a romantic interest because she's always. I mean, I love her, but there's the idea that she's the cerebral person, mm-hmm. and so we think of her as like you know, Galadriel, you know, ethereal and like beyond human or even jasmine or Catherine hebburn they're not exactly like regular everyday human beings they're there's something a little bit celestial about them yes. but like with daisy and like with mary they're just regular girls women going through life and she is able to do that in a way i don't think people give her credit for it, it, it's almost too easy in a way because like, oh, you know, Kate Blanchett playing a love interest in the movie, like, that's not much considering, you know, I mean, this is 20, this is, this is like the year after she's done Bob Dylan and Queen Elizabeth, like, it seems like a step down a bit in terms of the role, but, and I think that's maybe one of the reasons her work wasn't as celebrated. Yeah. Like, I feel like if it was another actress who was not, like, really famous... It would have been like a a role for them. Yeah, like the degree of difficulty seems less, but I think it's not really. I agree with you. I think she's not given enough credit for for a deg- for the degree of difficulty of this part because this part is not easy. Actually, Daisy has to do a lot more than Benjamin. Benjamin just has to grow younger. Daisy ha- goes through a lot, and things happen more to her. But because Cade yeah. Blanchett is Cade Blanchett, and she has played so many other bigger, better, more difficult parts, so this part is not given its due because it's played by her. And I do want to want to dig a little deeper into sort of like is this does this movie re- reflect her screen persona? There is some of her screen persona is here. If you think of the glamour of Blue Jasmine at the yeah. beginning anyway, or the glamour of Carol, um, even Elizabeth is glamorous. D- Daisy is definitely a glamorous ballerina. So that part is there. But perhaps that's the only part that's reflected because usually to your point, she plays more cerebral characters and Daisy... Um, is very flighty. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> she is she is but like i mean not, not even in a bad way though I, I feel like the film is one of the reasons i like this movie so much is i find it very empathetic mm-hmm. and it's it's one it's the reason it's my favorite fincher movie which is maybe mildly controversial like i mean you don't think of fincher as somebody you go to for empathy he has other good qualities yeah and one thing i think works for the film, even when it's very discursive, which is very often, is that it's sort of like a director wrestling with his desire for empathy, but but also his inclination towards remoteness. Because mm-hmm. the movie is also sometimes very remote. It's not sentimental in the way you think of something being warm and sentimental, but it's empathetic and cold like at the same time. There's this distance that you mentioned, like the fact that Benjamin is a very passive character, so it's like he is almost like on the outside looking in at these people living life normally. And then the film is doing all of these things about empathy. So by the end of the film, when he turns into a child, Mm -hmm. and Daisy has that final scene with him when she's much older, I feel like it's like he finally understood maybe how to 
see people to get in sort of in a way yeah so i i so i find a way that like daisy like at, the, at first she's she's sort of intrigued by him in a sort of morbid way and then she grows to understand him a bit more i think kate does a really good job and fincher helps her of course in not sort of sanitizing her less savory qualities and his also we were talking about kate here like mm-hmm. she can be a bit slighty and a bit judgmental but you sort of get it because benjamin is also kind of dull sometimes yeah he is and and that's sort of why she was not that into him at the beginning because her life was just much more exciting than this old dude but when you you were talking about the later part of the movie when benjamin is much younger than her and she and she is and he starts coming back into her life those are my favorite parts of Kate's performance in this movie. I think she gives them gravitas and she gives Daisy warmth that she didn't have in the part where she was flighty. And that yeah. and that sort of warmth is a very good way for her to chart the growth of this character, of this woman from that flighty ballerina to this mother and older person who is who knows more uh, more than benjamin because she's been through more life than benjamin even though um he is he is growing younger but she's been through more life and more experiences and that's my favorite part of of the performance that's true that's definitely true um like whenever i watch this movie i i like I said, it is my favorite Fincher movie. And like, like I can recognize all the things that don't really sort of work in theory. Mm-hmm. But then I watch it and then it comes to that scene in the nursing home when he has dementia, but he's a child and he can't remember her. And I just, it just, it's not even the incident. It's, it's, it's how Kate plays it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I think I mentioned earlier that it reminds like, in addition to Meredith Logue, it reminds me of her as... Catherine Hepburn because I can see Catherine Hepburn playing that character, the older Daisy, mm, who's yeah. you know very maternal and warm but still very direct. It's really very much this sort of weird trick she's playing because I think one thing persons who don't like the movie are kind of right about is that it's a weird dynamic, mm-hmm. the the backward aging thing. So like he looks like an old person and she's a child in one of the early scenes when Elle Fanning plays Daisy. Yeah. And it's 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 obviously visually creepy. Her grandmother is like, You're, yeah, yeah, it's very creepy. And then in the end, you know, she's an old woman and he's a, a boy who's no longer Brad Pitt. And it's like, this is also creepy. And she needs to sell the fact that, you know, Benjamin is both a lover and also in some ways like her child now. Mm-hmm. And it's a very delicate balance she's threading there, which I think she ends up achieving she does she does and she to your point those scenes with her are much less creepy because of the performance and i think i want to quote a.o scott in the new york times who i think gets at what we were talking about here and he says and i quote but the movie's emotional center of gravity the character who struggles and changes and feels is daisy played by miss blanchett from impetuous ingenue to near ghost with an almost (laughs) otherworldly mixture of hauteur and heat so because the movie is not that long, it's two hours forty, mm-hmm. but Daisy doesn't really appear properly until one twenty or something. Yeah, it's sort of like the first half Taraji 
as Queenie is mm. the emotional center. Yeah. And then when Taraji leaves the movie, Daisy ends up sort of taking the reins. There's a bit yeah. in the center where neither Taraji or Daisy is there, which I guess we'll talk about shortly. Yeah. But it's really just sort of that two hand balancing act. And and maybe, I mean, another reason why persons were sort of reticent to like awards is because they weren't sure where to place it. Yeah. I mean, she's obviously the leading actress, but she's not on screen that much. She's not. And if we want to talk about, I think this is a good time to talk about sort of why she wasn't awarded, even though the movie was an awards magnet and the year, at least for Oscars, it got the most nominations. Of any yeah, movie she didn't even year. get a Golden Globe nomination. And I remember at the time thinking, like, what the hell? Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. especially considering that she's, she'd come off of this, like, awards hungry run from... Like 2003, when she got Golden Globe nomination for Missing, of all things, which I like though. Missing is a good movie, and she's very good in it. So yeah. there's Missing, there's Aviator, there's No Sign of Scandal, there's I'm Not There, there's The Golden Age, and then this movie comes, a huge hit, and like nothing. Yeah, the people were just like, no. And I think one one reason is that, which we talked about, is that she's playing the girl, right? Like people yeah. are not seeing the complexity of this part. And the other thing is what you just said, which is she's absent for long stretches of time. Like she doesn't really come yeah. in until, until an hour and a half into a two hour 45 movie, really. And then I think the biggest thing is just the old age makeup. People I think we're really turned it's off fair. by that. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, they're wrong, but it's fair. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, other than the makeup just being not her age, like it's it's not bad makeup. It's yeah. just too much makeup. It's too much, <laughs> yeah. And... But I like those scenes. Like the makeup doesn't bother me because I like those scenes with her and her daughter. And also, like there's, I rem- I I think a lot about the uh, persons of color in the movie because mm-hmm. of course it's in New Orleans, so of course there are black people around in the film sort of tries to involve them. So, like, if you notice, all of the nurses in the scenes where she's on her deadbed are black women. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Queenie is there, who's sort of like a nurse caretaker for yeah. Benjamin. Yeah. And there's this... It's, like, I mean, the scenes work. It's not like, you know, the makeup is distracting you from the empathy going on there. So, I'm mm-hmm. like, I mean, just just watch the movie, people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I really, you know, I'm glad you brought Taraji up as Queenie, because I really love her. And she, is a, she gives... A very warm performance. Like she my... is really good in this movie, She's and so great. I was—I mean, I've been a Taraji fan like since she was in Baby Boy with Tyrese. Like, I mean, I have struggled with this woman from the bit part in Something New and like all of those movies. Nobody on mainstream film critics watch. Yeah, and she's great. And I think this movie. This was her breakthrough, ultimately, I guess, for, like, white Hollywood, ultimately. Yes, yes. Yeah. And that's, it's a good showcase. That's, that's a good distinction for white Hollywood. Absolutely. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and, I mean, like, I think a lot of... Like, I've mentioned the thinking of the persons of color in the movie and how they're treated. And I think there's that scene that I always remember where, spoiler alert, Queenie dies. And mm-hmm. they go to her funeral, Daisy and Benjamin... And everyone in the church is black and they're all weeping. And Daisy and Benjamin are there and they just don't know how to react emotionally. Yeah, they're stone-faced. <laughs> I think about that scene a lot. Like, I mean, like, like what is Fincher telling us here? Like, what? how are we supposed to respond to this? And I think, coming back to my previous point, it's to the idea that 
for a lot of the film, both Daisy and Benjamin just don't know how to express emotion mm-hmm. really well. They're they're like I mean, Daisy is still sort of mourning her dance career at that point, mm-hmm. and Benjamin is still not sure where he fits in mm-hmm. as an old looking young person or vice versa and from the very first scene of the movie i mean i think taraji sort of injects some necessary light in it like she's there on the porch with maharshala and they're talking about their flirtation and it's one thing i like about the movie Mm -hmm. it's like i said it's very discursive which isn't for everybody but one thing i really appreciate is the way that you can sort of imagine each of these characters having their own life somewhere. Yeah. And she has it's very chem- much chemistry yeah. with Maharshala. And yeah. you see the relationship in the interplay. Like the script doesn't give them much to do, but they just exist well together. And you can chart that relationship and get its warmth and its love and everything that's happening between those characters just from how they exist in front of the camera together. Yeah. And I mean, one thing I'd say against the movie, even though I love it, is that with all of these great women in them, like, there's no Kate Taraji scene. There's no Kate Tilda scene. And yeah. I remember before the movie came out, like, of course, this is on the heels of Tilda winning the Oscar over Kate mm-hmm. for Michael Clayton. And I'm thinking, oh, we'll see Kate and Tilda in a movie. Nothing. Nothing. Literally, they, don't, they, don't, they never meet. There is literally two seconds of Kate and Taraji together where yeah. Queenie is serving them lunch or dinner or yes, something and, and, and she's, that's and she's being sorry to Vance Knight to yeah. Daisy because she you know Daisy sort of broke Benjamin's heart yeah <laughs> which I think suggests that there probably are scenes on the cutting for we just didn't see yeah probably which I mean it's a long movie so fair yeah but, but one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit is that Taraji is great she's very warm and we love her but is this character itself a modern version of the Mammy archetype because it is, right? It is. She is a caretaker. And while we do get her relationship with her man, played by Maharshala Ali, and the feelings she has for Benjamin, her part is just there so that she takes care of Benjamin. And most of her scenes are just her asking him how he's doing and being a caretaker and nothing more. I do think about that. And I mean, there's always that potential with black female characters in films that are mostly white. And one thing I think that makes me sort of resist it, and I mean, I think it might be the the direction in the movie more than the script itself, which, as you said, sometimes I feel like the actors add shades to the script that aren't really there. Mm -hmm. But, like, I think of... I keep thinking of that first scene where she's introduced. And, like, the movie has an idea of Queenie beyond Benjamin, which I appreciate. So, like, when, I mean, those who haven't seen the movie, and, like, why haven't you? So, Benjamin <laughs> yeah, no, dad, like, just drops him on the, um, on the floor there of the nursing home, just leaves him. And Queenie and her husband, Mr. Withers, is it, are having Mr. this Withers, conversation. Yes. And he's just an afterthought. Like, you can, you, you, you feel this, like, ebullience from this woman just talking, just flirting with this guy she kind of likes. And... Like, I feel like the movie recognizes her as a person beyond him, even though we don't see a lot of it. Mm-hmm. So, like, for example, when they go to church later on and she's praying for a child that eventually comes, like, it's not the text of the film, but I feel like the film at least has an understanding of her 
as a person beyond this role yeah. rather than just you know her live her being there to exist for him yeah but i yeah. feel i mean your criticisms are fair though. i mean but I, I think mean, also th- does it mean anything like why was it that his surrogate mother wasn't was a black woman i think about i thought about that when i first saw the movie in 28 2008 like was there something he was trying to say about you know blackness in new orleans or like um something about his father as a white person not being open to you know deformity whereas queenie as a black woman who was childless of that time was clearly more empathetic mm-hmm. who was in charge of this nursing home Most it's very vague person, right it's yeah, like queenie like, is but she but wouldn't she wouldn't yeah, be so that like, doesn't, that make, doesn't sense. make sense <laughs> which is why i'm not sure that the movie is actually commenting about race at all. It all seems yeah. just haphazard and coincidences. It's very much a fantasy. And then the other thing is that I think, you know, Taraji got her f- an Oscar nomination for this movie. And this is the part. Her first. I'll keep saying her first because that's this can be her only one. Cross yeah. my fingers. But this is all the this is the type of part that black actors get awards for. Just for mm. all the things that we True. were just talking about. We haven't talked about the technology, which I guess at the time of this movie release, that the aging thing was was a big, big deal. It was a big deal. A big and, deal. And I was... think everybody around the world collectively gasped at that scene where young Brad Pitt shows up looking like Thelma and Louise Brad Pitt yes. at Kate's door, mm-hmm. and she gasped and we gasped, and it's like wow. Yeah, yeah, but I have to say it's one of the best, even though it was the first or one of the first yeah. to use it. It's, it's still... a very good looking movie. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you've seen The Irishman, but I'll tell you, Brad Pitt I haven't. much better than Robert De Niro does. So there well, you have it. Well, I mean... But I think this is a plus for Fincher. So we gave him a couple of minuses. So technology, David Fincher, you get a plus. I just remember through the entire 2008 Oscars being so annoyed that Slumdog Millionaire was winning everything. Like it took me, like it, I, I, I carried that chip on my shoulder because I don't even like Slumdog Millionaire, mm-hmm. and like I, I didn't like Death Patel until like three years ago. Mm-hmm. So like it, it was like my nemesis. It, it was my million dollar baby again. It was like <laughs> relit. It was like relitigating the aviator losing. Oh. Which was the first year that I really focused on the Oscars. So, like, four years later, I'm like, Kate Blanchett again in a movie mm. with all of these technical nods and just, like, losing them left and right. Like, how did this movie lose the Oscar for Best Costumes? Yeah, the costumes are very good and to die for. Who? Oh, the Dushets won, right? Yeah. I think. It yeah. also lost the, for music, which I thought it was definitely going to win for. I mean, I do like it. I do like A.R. Rahman's music because of my mm-hmm. Bollywood face when I was younger, but yeah. this is probably my favorite score by Dipla. Probably, maybe. Hmm. Yeah, the music is very good. Although I, I don't know where who I was rooting for that year. I think I was rooting for Milk. Not for music, but just in general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fair. It's fair. It's fair. <laughs> but I wanted to ask you, since you really like this movie, and the thing that I really could not reconcile with this movie is that this 
tale of the man who ages backwards. It's sort of a tall tale. It's something that, you know, your grandmother or grandfather will tell you when you were really young and put you, you know, to sleep, telling you this fast story that is about short story that's also about things that really might not happen, but as a child you accept them. But then the filmmaking and the storytelling is this sort of stately Dr. Zhivago like epic treatment. Yeah, it's it's not the filmmaking is not fantastical. The filmmaking is very straightforward and realist. Yeah. So I found that disconnect just I think that's the main reason why I don't love this movie is like the story should have been more, the filmmaking should have been as fantastical as the story. And you have actors there who can give you that. It is true that the film, like, I mean, the central, the movie starts before Benjamin with the tale of this guy. Mr. Gatto, yeah. Yeah, who creates the cloud that moves backwards, which is obviously not realistic. And it's the very last shot of the movie. But the movie isn't, done at all with any sort of like overt magic or anything yeah it's not i mean i think there is a disconnect and i don't know what he i think he could have done something to this story you mentioned in your notes how the movie sort of has his dr Zhivago quality and although i didn't see that particular movie as a like a predecessor i do think benjamin button is very much like a movie from that time in that where we see like older actors playing younger selves. Like I mean obviously Kate is like what? She's I think almost forty when she does this movie. And she's playing yeah. Daisy at like twenty three, twenty four. And mm-hmm. like she's obviously not twenty three, twenty four. Yeah. And even the digitizing doesn't make her look actually twenty three, twenty four. But coming back to her first point, she songs twenty three, twenty four and she acts twenty three, twenty four. So in that scene when he goes to her dance thing and she's all very like what are you doing here like this is very awkward she captures the essence of it so effectively like when you think of older movies where actors are like in their 40s like norma shearer playing juliet for example in Romeo and juliet mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like clearly they're the wrong age but it's such an old movie thing that works in this i think like she works like i don't think the movie would have worked if they like cast a young actress and then like yeah. aged her up the part that's important to the story is the we meet when when they meet in the middle and they wanted somebody, I think, who looked as old as Brad or closer to his age at that time. But to your point about Fincher and you think this is his most empathetic film, and I do agree with that, do you think this is why this film, because it is so unlike his other movies, that people are... You know, his fans, particularly his bro fans, side-eye <laughs> Benjamin Button. And... I mean, the funny thing is, though, like, my second favorite Fincher movie is Fight Club, which is, like, the ultimate bro movie. So, yeah, like, totally. I, I contain multitudes. To your question, I think, the movie doesn't really make sense in Fincher's filmography, which is why so many resist it. And even, like, I mean... I can recognize, even as much as I like the movie, that the movie doesn't it doesn't argue for any sort of huge philosophical point. Like it doesn't end with like telling you some great point about like humanity. It's just a movie about people. Mm-hmm. And I think that going into the movie with the build up for the movie and who was in the movie and who's directing the movie, you're sort of expecting that there is some sort of great aha yeah. thing. Like it's a movie about I don't know. Uh, racism or about 
people who are disenfranchised or ill or sick. The movie is mm-hmm. not about any grand statement. It's just a movie about people. Yeah. And I think considering what film what Fincher does before and after, it's sort of sort of like a huh? Like I don't get yeah. it. I mean, the thing that at the end, sort of like the one lesson I could gather from this movie is that when he's when Benjamin says to say to Daisy, nothing lasts, and I'm just like, big whoop, Fincher. Everybody knows that. <laughs> I figure you were born in 1918, 49 years ago. I'm 43. We are almost the same age. Meeting in the middle. I thought I caught up with the job. Wait. I want to remember us just as we are now. I also like the fact that it's ultimately just this very small, humble tale of this weird man. Like, yeah. there's nothing more... It, it's not trying to be more than that. And I think, considering how many movies are sort of reviled for trying to do too much, I respect it for just having some very small intentions. And I mean, like, we need more stories about just regular human-to-human contact. Like, I mean, maybe this isn't the best example of that. But there's because something, the I think, refreshing so... in that. Just great. He's not really regular. Like I get where your your point about like it's about just connection between people, but he's such a you know weird character. Benjamin, yeah, right? yeah. He's aging, he's aging backward. Like I mean, <laughs> I was mentioning before we started recording that Ebert didn't like this movie, Roger Ebert, and like yeah. that was a central issue. He was like the movie just like just the very concept of the movie is. It's terrible. I I don't find it that fantastical, but probably because I'd already read the Scott story before I even heard about this movie. Um. So I knew of the short story, which, by the way, is not as good as the movie. Oh, really? No. I mean, no offense to F. Scott Fitzgerald, but like, it's not his best work. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's a short story, maybe this movie could have been two hours. Because I do think there is a part... Daisy isn't in it, though. At least not properly. I don't want to cut any of Daisy's part, but I would (laughs) cut the tugboat and maybe Tilda. Because that part is just the part where it sags and you spend like half an hour with Jared Harris and Tilda Swinton and you're like, what's going on? I buy you... I I take you on the tugboat. I would not remove Tilda. And I'm, I'm I'm not even like the biggest Tilda stan, but I genuinely adore her in this movie. I mean, she's great, but it's just that part, I think, just goes on. Because also she is in the same part as the tugboat. So it's not just her. Yeah. 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 Like, how would he reach there if there was no tugboat? (laughs) Yeah. So let me ask you about what's your favorite scene in the movie or a scene you liked. We talked about older Daisy. Um, Something that I really like is Daisy's accident. Just the way that the filmmaking in that is superb. And the way Fincher does that. Yeah, it does clock ticking and sort of the coincidences and going back to tell us it, what if this had happened this would not have happened which also is a species that the movie is talking about in the script a little bit about how everything happens for a reason or everything is faded yeah. so that's my favorite two scenes well i mean I'll, I'll that scene is one of them but also the scene before that where daisy and benjamin wander first date 
Mm. And there's something that he does with the script, which sort of like emphasizes Daisy's fightiness, where you hear her talking about just like Daisy stuff, and she's talking overhead, but the um, we're seeing the date in slow motion almost. So it, it's it's out of sync, which is already the point in the movie, which is that his outside doesn't sync up with his insides. Yeah, and then we finally sync up and she's like oh my god i'm talking too much or something like that and they go for this walk and she does this dance on the pier or something in that iconic red dress or i think it's iconic at least and very beautiful it's the moment that they're not quite in touch with each other because she wants to have sex with him and he's sort of like no i just want to like i don't know what he wants i mean He's so opaque, Benjamin. Yeah, he, but he doesn't want to have sex wants. with her. Yeah. Yeah. And I think she leaves and she feels a bit hurt and things are out of things there. But I really like that scene. Like, It's the best of the movie. The costumes are really good. The cinematography is gorgeous. Kid's voice is what you hear her more than you see her. Yeah. And she's there and she's talking about this, this idea of the line, which comes up later on when she's at her dance studio. Yeah, And it's such a good precursor for later on. Another good scene, which is when she's telling him about meeting in the middle. Yeah. When she has her dance studio and whatnot. I mean, the best scenes of the movie are sort of with Kate. Yeah. Yeah. She is the best part of the movie. Absolutely. And I do like the meeting in the middle part. And that's also very quotable. I have said that to people. Yes. It is. It is. It, I. I mean, that's when you know, movie at least leaves an impression when you just can quote a regular line from it. Yeah. I mean, but there are a lot of scenes in the movie that I think about weirdly enough. I guess, or maybe not weirdly, the scene where he leaves his family, which I always forget happens because I'm. I also remember like, why did he leave? Like, did something happen? Oh yeah, he he just like drives off mm-hmm. in the night one. And then early there's one a- morning. Yeah. There's a close-up on her face as she realizes that he yeah. has left. And, like, I mean, the more I talk about it, the more, like, I once again realize she's doing so much heavy lifting in that back half. She is. I mean, I don't think this movie would work without her, but... You know. Yeah. And, but... I mean, just to answer your question very briefly, though, like, when I think of the movie, though, the scene that pops up, the image that pops up is the scene of Kate Blanchett in the pool crying when she sees... Yeah this um, young girl swimming mm-hmm. and she's remembering the fact that she can't dance anymore. And mm-hmm. that image is the one that I think of most often in the movie, which is just her crying and thinking, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be in this like place of grief anymore. I'm going to open the dance studio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's very emotionally resonant. And I think she gets a scene like that where Daisy gets show us that she's growing that she's realizing that she's understanding life and benjamin never does which is why it's such an odd part and an odd performance like it's definitely i like brad pitt in general but this is not one of his finest moments i like him and like i mean i think that benjamin is very opaque as a character but i like him in the movie playing benjamin and like to your point the fact that we see Daisy going on the journey sort of, I think, brings home my previous point that the movie really is sort of more about her than him. I mean, she frames the story. The story mm-hmm. ultimately is about is about Daisy telling her daughter that this is your father. Yeah. That is the movie. 
the movie isn't really about Benjamin growing up. It's really about Daisy. It is. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Um, I wanted to ask you about, since we are talking about Brad Pitt, I really want to see her and Brad Pitt to work again together. What would you put them in if you had all the power? Hmm. That's a good question. I want to see them in something like bandits. Like a sort of raunchy, sexy, irreverent comedy thing. So like maybe directed by, I don't know, like the, like the Coen brothers in Burn After Reading mode. Oh, and he's that's one of his best performances. He's very funny yeah. in that. And or Kate yeah, should do more comedy. So yeah, I like that. Like I think you were you were you mentioned in the notes about Kate in romance movies, and it's sort of odd that she isn't in more romance movies since her breakthrough was in a romantic movie. Yeah, I mean she Oscar never. Lucinda. Yeah, I mean she has done very few like this. Oscar and Lucinda Carroll. Like I don't think she does a lot of, and I always think that. Most actors are just maybe not worthy of her, like in, on film, <laughs> like not not in general, like on film. I think she. Yeah, I, is, know, I know what you mean. I know she's what you mean. cerebral. She's really smart, and sometimes when she's in romantic stories, you're just like, especially like I'm thinking of Joseph Fiennes and Elizabeth. It's just like you're not worthy of this person. He Please don't shade guy. Joseph Fiennes. He deserves so much better than the post. Shakespeare career he had. I, I I weep for him. Okay. Well, I guess he, he suffered enough. <laughs> but I mean, funnily to your point, though, like, I mean, if you think of the fact that no one is worthy of her, it makes sense that Bandit is probably her best romance and she gets two of them. Yes, because one is not enough. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So, that's all. Do you need to, to like, off balance how much she is? So, what is your favorite Kate performance? I mean, I, I, I have to say The Aviator. Like, I mean, it's it, yeah. it's not the first Kate performance that I saw. The first is Larger the Rings, obviously. Mm-hmm. But it was the first time I took notice of her. Like I mean it's so weird. It was a weird confluence of events. Because I had just gotten really obsessed with Catherine Hepburn, like before that movie came out. Mm-hmm. Like with no knowledge of the Scorsese movie. Like I just happened to get interested in her because she died just before the movie was finished or yep. something like yeah, that. Yeah, I remember. Uh, and I love Kate in the movie, even though she's not Catherine Hepburn. She's, it's, when I think of Kate, I just think of her in that golf scene with Leonardo DiCaprio talking about showering or something, whatever that line was. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's You're Kate death and I sweat. She's just great in that movie. Especially she because she's not who you think of as, in theory, the Catherine Hepburn descendant. But then I watch it and I think, of course she is. Like, of course she is. Who else would it be? So would you like to see her work with Fincher again or with some with anybody else? Who would you like to see her work with? I want her to work with Scorsese again. I always remember her Oscar speech where she says that she wants her uh, son to marry his daughter. Yeah. And like every now and then when I watch, when I watch this speech back, because I mean, what are we if we don't we watch Oscar speeches? I think, where are, those, where are those children now? Like, are they in contact? What's happening? Kid? I want to know. I want to know. <laughs> I want to see her work with Scorsese, though, because I love Scorsese, and he's my favorite living director. And I want to see her work with Leo again. Yeah, Scorsese should just call her and Leo right now and put them in a movie together. Yeah, I would love but to like, see I that. Mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, Scorsese hasn't done, like, a Age of Innocence type of movie in forever. It's like, what could he possibly cast her in? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Sometimes yeah, people yeah. surprise you. 
So we talked about Kate working with Brad and you wished Kate was in a scene with Tilda, but who is your favorite Kate scene partner? Two answers. One of them is not really an answer because I keep thinking, like, to the point of her not being in a scene with Tilda, isn't it frustrating that she's not in a scene with Jude Law in Ripley? Because I think they would work really well. I think they'd be great together. Yes, that is very frustrating, especially since she keeps thinking Matt Damon yeah. is Dickie Greenlee. <laughs> and I and I love Jude Law and I think he and Kate would be really interesting together. Like yeah. in a movie. I don't want to say that Kate is an ungenerous scene partner, but like I like she's not somebody I think of as like a dual performer. Like there are certain actors I think of as like working best with other people, but Kate is good when she doesn't have a scene partner. Like in Let me Jasmine. explain a bit. Like I mean like Coming back to her voice, like when I think of Kate Blanchett, I think of her narrating the beginning of Art of the Rings. Mm-hmm. She doesn't need anybody. It's just her. Yeah. And even when I think of her in movies I like her and where people are with her, mm-hmm. it's her monologuing. Like the scene where we meet her in the aviator. It's a really it's one long monologue. Yeah, Leo is just there to look at her. Yeah. 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 But you she know, doesn't need I anybody. Will, I will counterpoint with like she's great with Dame Judy and Notes on a Scandal, for example. That's probably her best scene partner, indeed. I do very often tell people you're not here. Maybe a question I can ask you before you go, though. Sure. Considering we're talking about fashion in the movie, like, what do you think is Kate's best fashion ensemble in a movie? Well, you mentioned the red dress where she wears on that date yeah. with Benjamin, and that's a great outfit and a great costume. But I also just like her... When she goes to the dancer's party after when she was still a dancer. And I think she's ah, wearing yeah. like a, pen, a pencil thin uh, trousers and yeah. a top. And she just looks great with the red hair. And it's just, I love that thing. Well, this has been a pleasure and a joy. Thank you so much for coming on Sundays with Kate. And before we, you go, do you want to tell our listeners where they can find you online and your work? Uh, yes, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is Departed Aviator. And so you can read departed. my reviews on Stabrook News, which is a newspaper in Guyana, where I'm from. It's spelled S-T-A-B-R-O-E-K. It's a Dutch word. Thank you so much, Andrew. And you can find me online at me underscore says and follow the podcast at Sundays with Kate. And until next time, thank you for listening.